This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. This episode of Your Itinerary is brought to you by This Week in Costa Rica. This week-long all-inclusive photography workshop will be led by me and Frederick Van Johnson, April 18th through the 25th, 2015. You'll be treated to all the photo opportunities you'd expect in this tropical paradise. You'll shoot wildlife, landscape, street photography, macro, you name it. And Frederick and I will be right alongside you with tips and advice to help you make the most of every unique opportunity. Find out more and register today at thisweekinphoto.com slash week dash costa dash rica. On your itinerary this week, I interview Kevin Lachlan from Wildside Nature Tours. Kevin leads tours and photo workshops all over the world, and I found it fascinating to find out how he originally caught the travel bug, how he was introduced to photography, and what made him decide to start a tour company in the first place. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to invite you to go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us some feedback about the show. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome to Your Itinerary. I'm your host, Rob Knight, and I'm here with Kevin Lachlan from Wildside Nature Tours. And Kevin's a photographer and uh, a birder, would you say, and uh, an educator. Uh, welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, Kevin and I have been in uh, Socorro, New Mexico for the last week during the Festival of the Cranes. And uh, if you get a chance to go down to, to Bosque del Apache and see the thousands of swans and geese and uh you can tell i'm a big birder lots <laughs> of birds cranes. sandhill cranes and ducks and, and raptors and I, oh, I, i'm trying a, to remember all the things that we saw yeah, um, it's a spectacle it's it's really something so, especially when you get you know five to ten thousand snow geese lifting off all at once the sound and the sight is just phenomenal it really is breathtaking and uh i have to say some of the prettiest sunrises and sunsets that i've ever seen as the backdrop for thousands of birds taking exactly. flight at the same time. It's unbelievable. Um, well, Kevin, uh, to get started, uh, tell me about um, where you're from and what got you into photography. Well, I was born and raised in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, uh, not too far from Philadelphia, about 20 miles outside Philadelphia. And uh, we didn't stay there all year round. We had a little family cabin in the Pocono Mountains. So my mom was a teacher. so. We would spend summers up there. My dad would uh, take long weekends and come up and resupply us with all our food. And uh, then we had other summers where we would just take off for four or five, six weeks at a time and drive cross country with a little family truckster and the tent trailer on the back and head off to visit all the national parks. My parents loved to camp. My mom was an amazing cook. We'd set up the trailer and she'd have dinner ready almost immediately, uh, didn't matter. What we had, she always had amazing food for us. Um, and so those are some of the most wonderful memories, just visiting all the national parks, getting to see, oh my gosh, you know, the Grand Canyon and the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone and all of that. And by the time I was 10 years old, we had already visited all the lower 48 states and most of Canada. Wow. Now, were you, were you making pictures, or was your father a photographer during that well, time? It, my dad, his only stint into photography was friends asking him to uh, photograph their wedding back in the, oh, 1940s. Wow. Um, and that was really the only time he ever handled a camera. <laughs> <laughs> but my brother, uh, who's 14 years older than me, he got hooked on photography when he was 14. So obviously I was one of his subjects for quite a while. Right. But at age six, he was already off in college. And so he joined us on that family trip 
uh, you know, the big one cross country when I was six years old, the summer I turned six and he had just gotten a new SLR. Mm-hmm. So he gave me his Minolta A5 rangefinder, 35 millimeter camera with no light meter, mm-hmm. manual focus, did not have interchangeable lenses, but you know, it was amazing. So at six years old shooting Kodachrome, probably Kodachrome 25, I think my brother taught me how to use the camera and we used, you know, the, the settings that were printed inside the box, <laughs> right? You know, whatever aperture and shutter speed for, Sunny days, cloudy days, you name it. And uh, so that's how I got started. Wow. And uh, I also had uh, another incredible mentor, my Uncle Bob, who passed away just a few years ago. But uh, he was a bombardier in World War II. But he also photographed the bombing sites. And uh, he became uh, a photojournalist right after World War II. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up about half a mile from uh, where he lived. So I would go over and he taught me how to use the dark room, how to process the black and white film and do my printing and all. And so I, I started that at an early age mm-hmm. and it just continued from there. Wow. So you had the, uh, the travel bug and the photography bug sort of all at the same time. Uh, and-, and the birding bug, too. Uh-huh. Now, who's yeah. into birding? Well, my mom always had the Peterson's Field Guide on the kitchen counter. Mm-hmm. She wasn't a birder, but she fed the birds. Right. And so we always wanted to know what was coming to the feeders. But even earlier than that, before I had a camera at age four, I started drawing uh, pictures of birds using the Peterson's Field Guide or just from things that I uh, saw in magazines or on TV. And it was fun recently. Um we were cleaning out some some stuff in my mom's house. We just moved her to an apartment. And she had saved a couple of my drawings from when I was four years old. Nice. One was of a penguin mm-hmm. and one of a toucan. Yeah. Definitely, you know, a premonition of things to come. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> For sure. Well, now I was I was looking at the uh, the Wildside website and I noticed that it said that you started Wildside Nature Tours in nineteen ninety three. So yeah, you've been doing 21 this years ago. for a couple of minutes. What, uh, <laughs> what inspired you to start leading tours? Well, I, I obviously love to travel. And even after you know doing all the family trips growing up, once I got my driver's license, I was just everywhere. I was backpacking through the Rockies and uh, just all over the place. And uh, so, uh, you know, that I blame my parents. It's that love of travel is from them. Mm-hmm. And then on my 30th birthday, backpacking through the Tetons, I decided it was time to get a passport. Came home, got a passport, then I had to decide where to go. (laughs) And some very good friends of mine uh, at the Mill Grove Audubon Sanctuary, which was the first home uh, in America of John James Audubon, um, where my mother grew up on that property. So it was a very important place to us, and I volunteered there. So the naturalist there, he and his wife had been to Belize a few years earlier. So when I mentioned I got my passport but didn't know where to go, they said, oh, you have to go to Belize. Hmm. So I said, okay. So I went to Belize. That was April of 93. And I tooled around the country for a couple of weeks, and I made so many amazing friends. 
that I still have to this day mm-hmm. uh, and met oh, just wonderful people. The people were fantastic, but the birds and the wildlife on that trip, I was driving up the uh, coastal highway coming back north and a black cat ran across the road in front of me, but it wasn't just any black cat. It was a black jaguar. Wow. So not only did I get to see a jaguar, but it was a black jaguar. Yeah. That was amazing. Wow. Of course, it's a conundrum. It's a black cat running across my path, but, <laughs> right. but it is a jaguar. <laughs> right. So I took it as a good omen. <laughs> but that was on my way to the Crooked Tree Wildlife Sanctuary. And of course, as a bird or a photographer, you never arrive anyplace on time. Mm. Uh, so much to see, so many things to photograph. And so I finally get into Crooked Tree at nine o'clock at night. Well, Crooked Tree Village, they roll in the sidewalks at eight. Right. Um, so all the lights were out. I had no idea where I was going. The, uh, Belize Audubon society supposedly had set up a home state for me. I had no idea where to go. Mm-hmm. They had told me to, you know, stop at the, uh, the Belize Audubon office there, which was just a little shack out on the road. Nobody was there. Um, so I started asking anybody that I saw, you know, sitting on their porch, whatever. So this older man who I learned later was like one of the most loved people in the in the village, John Jex. He gave me directions to where I would find uh, the person I was supposed to see, and convoluted directions going through the village. And I finally found a place, and he said they never told me anything about it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, he said, but that's okay. Follow me, and he hopped on his his uh, little motorcycle, and I followed him all the way through the village. To total darkness and he stops and says wait here and leaves <laughs> <laughs> so there i am total darkness i see a couple of thatch roofs kind of against the silhouette of the night sky and and the crooked tree lagoon the big seasonal lake right in front of me mm. like okay <laughs> so i waited a little while later a little minivan pulls up and this older couple gets out introduce themselves as uh, uh, Rudy and, and, uh, Grace Crawford. And so they asked me if I had eaten dinner and I had, uh, I hadn't eaten all day. I was a little hungry. They made dinner for me. They set me up in their new little cabanas. They had just recently built wanting to start this new lodge. Hmm. They took me in like I was a long-lost relative. Sure. Fed me. Even when I left, finally, they just loaded me up with fruit and everything. And I just realized that I needed to share this place with people. That whole experience, and especially at Crooked Tree, I had to share this. And so when I came home, I quit my job, Mm -hmm. and I created Wildside. And here I am 21 years later. Wow. That's a great story. That's very similar to the experience I had in Costa Rica. You, you meet so many great people, and it's such a beautiful place, and you just think, man, I, I, can't, I can't do anything but share this. I have right. to, I have to exactly. bring people here. Now, um, you lead a lot of different photography tours and workshops, um, but you lead a lot of birding tours. I noticed that there seems to be a focus on just the tours that you particularly lead. Um, how does your mindset change if you're leading just a birding tour versus leading a photography tour? It can be very different. And it, it's becoming more mingled lately because so many 
birders are getting interested in photography. Mm-hmm. But there's still a difference. It's, it is a different mindset. You know, the birders, they want to go to where the birds are, find the birds, move on, find more birds, move on, find more birds. Right. Whereas a photographer, uh, you want to work a subject. You want right. to make sure that you've got the best light, the best background, and all of those situations. So you may hang out with the subject as long as possible. Whereas a birder, in some cases, they love to observe and learn behaviors and all that. But in a lot of cases, it's like, I've got two weeks. I want to see as much as possible. Mm. And that's fine. But it's, you know, move on to the next subject and move on to the next subject and just keep going. But with the photographer, you know, once you find something you really want to shoot, you know, like they say, a bird in hand, you know, <laughs> no matter what you're you're going after, if you've got something good, you shoot. Right. And so it is in, in that way, it is a very different mindset. You know, you, uh, like I said, you, you figure out how to work the subject, making sure you've got that good background, the nice clean background, or really showing something in the environment, but really coming up with so many different ways to, uh, to just make that subject pop in your scene. Sure. So yeah, it, you do have to think about it differently. Mm-hmm. And, and I, um, it's funny, I wrote that question when I got to Bosque and then I led three workshops myself and, and it was about half photographers and half birders. And it's funny to see that difference. Cause like you said, if you know, the photographer wants to make the picture, so it's great to see the bird, but if the bird's not in good light or he doesn't have a good background, then the birder, the photographer just says, well, we can just move on. But the birder wants to stay there and well, Oh, right. oh, that's a, you know, whatever the bird is. And they don't care if the light's good or not, you know, right. Um, exactly. They want to see it and, and, that's about it. So. Yeah. And, you know, most of the birders, they don't understand waiting for the light to change or anything like that. It's like, well, there's the bird. Take the picture. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. and, you know, I, I, over the years, I've had, you know, so many couples where one's more into photography than birds and the other one's the birder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, it's interesting to see how we can create that trip that they both enjoy it. Right. And I've been, you know, being a birder and a photographer, I've been very fortunate to be able to have clients that keep coming back time and again because I can create that very balanced atmosphere. Sure, sure. And I could imagine that someone who may come on a birding tour um, with you as the leader, that that could easily get them into photography. If you show them beautiful pictures or even just talking to them about how a photographer would see them. It has happened. I've had a lot of clients that, you know, show up with their point and shoot. Right. And I show them how to use it properly. And, you know, with a little compact camera without a big zoom, we still, you know, get to photograph butterflies and flowers and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the next trip, oh, look, I got a new camera that's got a big zoom. And, you know, then we start doing different things. And the next trip, I got a DSLR. Look at this. So, sure. you know, you can just see them grow. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Now, I remember um, when I met you, must have been at an event earlier this year, and I picked up your catalog for wild side nature tours. And it's like a travel magazine. It seems like you have 200 different tours, um, all over the world. And uh, I was wondering how you decide where you're going to lead tours and, uh, how often do you add a new trip? Is there just sort of a, uh, at this point after 21 years, is there a, a list that you follow every year or are you constantly tweaking well, that? There's those itineraries that are just our mainstays, Belize, Belize, mm-hmm. 
We just keep adding more trips to Belize, right. changing up the itinerary a little bit, making some shorter ones for those people that don't have a lot of vacation time, mm-hmm. some longer ones for the people that are retired and, and want to see more. Um, so we mix it up a little bit that way. But in terms of finding a new destination, uh, you know, after Belize, the, the obvious progression was to go a little further south. So we did Costa Rica mm-hmm. and then we did Panama. And then I jumped down to Ecuador because Colombia at that time was not too safe to travel to. Sure. It is now. In fact, I've got a group that's just finishing up a tour there now, a birding tour. But, um, you know, it, it's just not only did I want to visit new places now, but my clients after traveling with me would say, where are we going next? Mm. So I'd have to keep coming up with something new and I'd have these uh, this core group of travelers that would, you know, just keep evolving you know, some folks getting to the point where they can't travel much anymore. And, you know, the friends that they've invited in the past are now part of that new core group. And so it didn't seem to matter that I hadn't been to a place yet. Mm-hmm. They would just say, where are we going next? We trust you. And sure. so we, um, you know, we just kept adding new places. And then uh, in the early 2000s, I met Adrian Bins who at the time was working with the bird photographer, Kevin Carlson. And they had a company called Jaeger Tours. And Kevin was doing more and more books. And so he was really getting out of doing the tours. So Adrian um, came to me and said, you know, let's do some co-marketing for the tours and all that. And within a couple of years, he just said, I'm going to bring all my tours to Wildside. Hmm. So everything's going to be under Wildside. So he brought with him India, uh, and all of Africa, including Morocco, um, plus some trips in North America, as well as like Veracruz, Mexico, he was doing. So he brought a lot of new tours to Wildside. Yeah. So that was huge. Absolutely. Um, so my specialty still remains the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. I lead trips from Alaska all the way down to Antarctica. Right. And everything in between. Uh, whereas Adrian's specialty is Old World. And he does a couple in North America, um, but he does mainly birding tours and safaris. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of photographers on the safaris, so they're not really instructional. They're, well, we're going to put you in the right place to get this wildlife. Sure. Whereas I do really more of the instructional stuff now. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming more, t- uh, coming back to those roots more and more as I'm finding more birding guides to work with that are just phenomenal. Uh, you know, you met Edison from sure. South America, from Ecuador, and Glenn from uh, Belize. <clears throat> so we're, um, uh, you know, even though we are expanding, a lot of what I'm doing is still expanding within the Western Hemisphere. Right. I do want to go to other places, but it, it's hard to let go of all these amazing places that I get to visit so often and, and love and have made so many friends. And, sure. um, so we're also just changing up itineraries within those locations. So mm-hmm. Ecuador, we've got multiple itineraries, you know, the Andes and Amazon or, uh, just the hummingbird photo safari in the Northern Andes or Southern Ecuador birding, uh, for all the Hokotoko endemics. And so, you know, one little country and we can create so many itineraries just like I've done with Belize. Right. And so it's fun just to change it up that way and then create it specifically for photographers or specifically for birding or even, you know, just for these endemic species of birds, not necessarily everything. And, 
you know, just sure. make it more concentrated. So, and also making shorter trips and longer trips for the, like I said, for those people that just don't have that vacation time can mm-hmm. only take, you know, five vacation days. So we go weekend to weekend to give you eight or nine days. Right. I think once you have a place <laughs> dialed in like that and you know what kind of experience you can provide and it's, like you said, it's hard not to go back. And you know, I know that people can come with me and they can do this and this and this and, and just having all those pieces that you can rearrange into a different itinerary. That's exactly. And it, you know, and the more time you spend there and the more intimate you become with uh what's available to, to photograph and see and um really getting to know the area so that when you do bring clients, uh you're able to just open up doors that you know, no one else can do. Right. Absolutely. When you're planning a trip to a new location that you haven't led a tour before, um, and, and if you're like me, you don't always have time to go do that exploratory trip and put those things together. Um, what sort of tools do you use to do the scouting in advance? Do you, are there are there apps that you use or websites, or do you you know go on 500px and do a search for the place and see what other photographs people are taking, or what? Yes. Uh, there's you know with the internet at our fingertips now there's so much you can learn just that way but you also have to take everything you read with a grain of salt Mm -hmm. um so i try to put together exploratory trips where i'll I'll invite some of my regulars to go along it's like i'm going to a new place do you want to go with me Mm -hmm. and that helps defray some of my costs etc so uh, and gives them a fun experience on how we go about exploring and discovering new things. Right. Um, you know, I've got an exploratory trip to, uh, an area of Panama that I have not been to yet, uh, to this incredible luxury lodge. Mm-hmm. And so we're just, we're heading there next month and we're just going to explore every little piece of the area. Um, and you know, these clients that are with us, we've got a couple that have been with us before and one that has not, uh, but, you know, they understand exactly what's going on with that. It's going to be exploration, see what we can see. And, you know, I know what's there. I know the wildlife of Central America. So there's not necessarily going to be new wildlife for me. It's just a matter of getting to learn where to find it in this location. Right. And so they understand that. And we'll have local guides. I always have the local guides there to, to help us out because they're familiar with where to find everything. Right. So even though, you know, I can name all the birds there, uh, whether I hear them or see them, it's a matter of, uh, just knowing what to look for, where. And so the guys that are on those trails every day, if I say, you know, I want to see an RSRI, they can say, well, we always see them down this trail at this time of year. Right. So that's always helpful. And I always look for somebody local to work with, you know, mm-hmm. like Edison and Ecuador. Right now, Edison uh, also knows Peru and Colombia like the back of his hand, so mm-hmm. he does all of those trips. Um, you know, I'm opening up Argentina now, doing Patagonia and all the way down to Ushuaia, Tierra del Fuego, which I've been there a few times <clears throat> on my way to Antarctica, and I found a guide down there who was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, with him, I'll be doing some more exploration of the area to learn where the best photographic spots are. He's a birder, so he's not quite sure what to look for in terms of photography, but right. he knows where to find everything. Mm-hmm. And so as we do you know, some research, I say, I want to go here, here, and here. He knows how to get there. Right. You know, he goes there for birding. Now we're just going to check it out for photography and see 
exactly where we want to be able to position ourselves at what time of day. Sure. Sure. And I think that's important. If somebody's going on their own to a, a new location that they haven't been before, you can do all the pre-visualization and all the scouting and see what pictures people have made and decide on some locations you want to go. But hiring that local guide is invaluable. Exactly. Uh, it's, exactly. it's the same with, I mean, anywhere you go. If you have a guy who, who lives there, who knows the area, then he's going to point things out and, and help you find things that you almost literally never find on your own. Exactly. That's, and that's good you know, even my birding guides, I'm getting cameras into their hands mm-hmm. so that they can take pictures, you know, during the trips. Now, obviously they can't, you know, it's first and foremost, get the people on the birds and all that, but you know, get the shot if you have time, but you know, I'm teaching them as I can, how to use the equipment properly. So they get used to the photographic side of things as well. So mm-hmm. they can start to understand the, you know, learning about the backgrounds, learning more about the light so they can even be more of a help on the trips than just finding the wildlife. Sure. Cause they might be able to find things in a different order that would, that would right. have more to do with the light in, in the morning or the evening or whatever. Right. Exactly. Sure. That makes sense. Well, um, I'm going to wrap it up with my five questions for you. Okay. Um, the, uh, the first one is, uh, what's your, what's your current photo gear setup? that you, <clears throat> is there a sort of standard kit that you travel with? Um, yeah, I'm currently using Canon and up until recently I've been using as my main travel telephoto lens, big lens was the, uh, Sigma 50 to 500, mm-hmm. which relatively speaking is lightweight for what it is. But I have to say that I fell in love with the Canon 200 to 400, the new lens with the 1.4 converter built into it. Mm-hmm. And even though it's a beast, eight pounds, it is the most amazing lens. So that's my new go-to big lens for birds and wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I shoot now with the, I just got the new 7D Mark II. Mm-hmm. Uh, had been using the 7D, um, but the 7D Mark II just blows it away. Gotcha. Uh, it just in the few weeks that I've been using it, I'm just stunned. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, and then my other body, uh, that I'll use mainly for macro and landscape is the, uh, 5D Mark three. Cool. <clears throat> and I've got the 24 to 105, um, as just a, you know, carry along, um, and a walk Sigma 150 lens. macro. Yeah. The walk mm-hmm. around. Sure. Um, a Sigma 150, uh, 2.8 macro and the Sigma, um, 10 to 20 ultra wide that fits on this, uh, the crop front crop right. sensors. Right. Right. Um, and you know, there's always something else to buy. Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you pretty much already answered question number two, which is how has your gear changed in the last year? You mentioned this adding the 70 Mark two and, and the Canon lens. Yeah. So. And that, those are the, the, the major changes. And mm-hmm. that's about all I can do after buying that lens. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> the wallet's a little lighter. Sure. <laughs> um, so, um, comforts of home. What do you do on the road to, to make your hotel room or your lodge or your, your tent into a, a little piece of home? You know, I've done so much traveling for my whole life that, uh, anywhere can be home. And, it, whether it's a, a solo tent in, you know, the middle of the Absorca range in uh, Wyoming or a nice plush hotel in Ecuador, it's, it's a, a place deal. to sleep sure. and, uh, and, you know, recharge and then head out the next morning. Got it. Um, from a photography standpoint, what's your favorite place that you visited lately? 
lately or just uh, well all to, okay let's change that <laughs> from a photography standpoint what's your favorite place to go photograph it's still a difficult question to answer but i have to say galapagos is right up at the top of the list mm-hmm. um it doesn't necessarily have that diversity of wildlife that the amazon has which i love the amazon too mm-hmm. but it has endearing wildlife wildlife that is just fun to photograph hmm. and it's right there it's easy and even more importantly it's exciting for me to you know share it with clients and see their faces as they you know sit eye to eye with a blue-footed booby right. or have a sea lion come up and lay its chin on their knee you know, it, and I have to say this, the last trip to the Galapagos a few months ago, there's a, a, a shot that I had in my head mm-hmm. trying to photograph a penguin underwater. And I've been trying and trying and trying and just haven't gotten that shot. I got a couple of okay video clips, things like that, but I wanted the shot of the penguin underwater. And on the last trip, I got it. Nice. The penguin coming up right in my face and blowing bubbles. <laughs> And that was it. I'm I'm done. I, you know, <laughs> right? I got the shake the rest of the day off. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, so as much as you as you travel and as just I can look and see your calendar on the Wild Side Tours website, I'm really interested to hear your answer to this last question. And it's where are you looking forward to visiting and shooting next? Three locations, and it, these are all boat trips. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love them. I love doing the boat trips because your hotel goes with you. Right. <laughs> so it makes it a little bit easier. But our Amazon River boat trip, mm-hmm. where we hit the, the Marignan River, the Amazon, and then just explore up all the little tributaries and creeks and visit the villages, it, it's just so much fun. And there's so much to see. Um, and the Galapagos, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then the Alaska Inside Passage. Nice. And that is a place that's really special to me because that's where my wife and I got married on the bow of the yacht that we use in Alaska wow. in front of Lacanti Glacier. Wow. And so every time I'm there, and we've been married four and a half years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the one that was never going to get married. <laughs> so when I'm in Alaska, though, it's like there's the from the glacier to the bears to the whales it's just so exciting and you never know what's going to happen each morning. You, you just can't wait to get out on deck and see what's around and, and go explore. Cool. Sounds like fun. I, I've got to get up there. I'm, I'm working on uh, putting a tour together for 2016 in that same area. Excellent. I love it. Well, tell people uh, where they can find you online. Wildsidenaturetours.com mm-hmm. or wildsidephotoadventures.com. Great. Uh, Thanks for being on the show and uh, safe travels. And I'll see you guys next week on Your Itinerary. So go have an adventure and I'll see you then. You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography.